thinking about calling this series Emotionally Healthy, um, but I, I, we, we were talking about it, and Kara kind of got in my face a little bit because she can do that, and I often need her to do that. And, and she said, no, we should, we should talk about maturity because if we talk about emotional health, even that word, health, it, it kind of triggers these thoughts of mental health, and there are some connections in what we're talking about uh, in this series related to mental health. Um, there, there's a lot of overlap, actually. Uh, but even when we talk about emotional health, it's really easy for us to get into the world of, like, diagnosis and prescriptions and sort of uh, maybe kind of thinking of ourselves as, uh, as people who are sick, maybe as people who are helpless. Um, and while those things are sometimes true, like sometimes we are victims, sometimes we have experienced trauma, sometimes we are uh, you know, experiencing chemical imbalances or whatever else. Like, those things are real. I'm not trying to dog mental health. But what I'm trying to do, uh, and what we're trying to do as a community, is to really more kind of just stay in our lane a little bit and say, like, I'm not a professional psychologist in any way. I'm not a mental health professional. I don't make mental health diagnoses. I don't make prescriptions or treat mental health issues in a professional capacity. That is not my job. But what I am is I am a person who is trying his best to become emotionally mature and to do that through following Jesus. And I'm trying uh, in my capacity as a pastor to help other people do that as well. And so talking about things in terms of emotionally, emotional maturity, I think makes more sense for us as a community. And what happens as we become emotionally mature is that we actually also become more emotionally healthy and we help those around us become more emotionally healthy. Uh, even as we become more aware of our own anxiety and our own grief and our own trauma and all those things, uh, as we become more aware of those things, we learn how to respond to those emotions in a mature way, in a holy way, in a way that builds others up and communicates love and respect to other people and that in many ways accepts it for ourselves. And so it's funny the things that happen though when we talk about emotional maturity because some of these statements and some of these ideas seem like the most bland, uh, unremarkable, just sort of like vanilla things, right? Like uh, things like, you know, things that seem like they should be you know, not difficult to understand. Things like honesty doesn't, on the surface, doesn't really seem all that threatening, right? Seems like kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of like, oh yeah, honesty, that's a, that's a good thing. I should be an honest person. But then when we start to talk about and look at, look at our own lives and the ways that maybe we kind of are less than honest uh, and, and, and are, are kind of like in sneaky ways, maybe ways that we're not even aware of, like always kind of super anxious about trying to keep everybody around us happy, or the ways that we respond defensively whenever someone expresses that they're not happy with us, we're not being honest about ourselves. It's like, okay, now suddenly this is like, oh my gosh, like am I not an honest person? Like I'm, I'm suddenly aware of all the ways I'm not an honest person. Oh no, right? And, and so it's really interesting to me when we talk about emotional maturity and start to really name some of these, what, what are really very, uh, I think, uncontroversial topics uh, it is actually easy for us to become anxious and worked up as we talk about these things that are actually very simple, but their simplicity does not make them easy. And so this is not going to be 
uh, a series where we are super, um, you know, theological. We're not, we're not wrestling with, like, super deep mysteries about God. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's in many ways kind of an antithesis to the, to the uh, series that we just preached about uh, essential Jesus, you know, where we're looking at all these seeming conundrums and we're really wrestling with these mysteries of how Jesus can be both extremely powerful and totally nonviolent, how he could be God and man, how we can, you know, like wrestling with that tension and the theological concepts and, and living in that tension and walking that out. This is sort of an antithesis to that sermon series. In this series, we're going to be talking about things that are pretty simple to understand, but are more difficult to actually do. And so we're going to be looking at virtues. We're going to be looking at simple practices related to those virtues that will hopefully help us become more uh, emotionally mature people. And so I kind of want to just sort of like read a few statements. We, we were going over a few of these um, with the worship team yesterday, and we had, a, I think, a pretty uh, deep, though uh, maybe it was a bit intense, time of connecting uh, with, with people on the worship team yesterday, uh, but it was so good because we were able to really get honest with each other and talk. And so I want to just kind of read a few statements, give you a taste of where we're heading, all right? So one statement about emotional is that mature people are able to endure anxiety and conflict without breaking relationships. That one really intimidates me. <laughs> um, emotionally mature people take responsibility for what they can control. That is themselves and their own behavior, and then how they respond to the behavior of others. Okay. Uh, emotionally mature people consider their attitudes and behaviors and how those affect others around them and also how others are affecting them. Pretty bland stuff, right? But putting it into practice, that's where it gets really interesting. And so I want to just read uh, a story, if I can, briefly, uh, about a person who I think is extremely mature, maybe the picture of emotional maturity, and that's found in Mark 10. Let's just take a look at it, uh, starting in verse 35. Then James and John the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let, us, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
For, whoever, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you just would speak to us by your word, by your spirit, by who you are, and that you would invite us into real growth. That we could learn to walk out a holiness that is not judgmental or proud, but in which we recognize that we are set apart and that we are called to be different and that we are called to be mature in all the ways that you are mature and that we can accept your leadership and that we can serve one another with humility and kindness and sincere love and that we would have something to offer in our families, in our places of work, in our, with our roommates, with those people that we're doing life with, and that your presence would go with us and change us as we embark on this journey. And I just ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think one thing to notice about this passage of Scripture right off the bat is that the disciples come to Jesus as they are, right? Jesus' disciples come, and when they come to him, they are really not mature, right? Like, the thing that they're asking for is kind of ridiculous. Like, we want to be, you know, the most powerful people in your crowd. We want you to put us on your right hand and your left hand, right? And even the way that they're asking, like, it's kind of manipulative, right? Like, hey, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We want you to agree before you know what we're going to ask you to do, right? Like, there's sort of like a little bit of a, you know, they're, they're trying to strong arm, they're trying to give maybe like a little sales pitch, like trying to, trying to kind of get Jesus to, to do what they want to do. And, and the thing that they're asking for is really kind of like a little bit smarmy, like it's a little bit like lame, like we want you to make us our number, your number one and number two. Like we want you to, you know, we want you to give us the, the keys to the kingdom. We want you to be, uh, you know, to make us like awesome and, and, and put us right next to you. And I think that we just have to recognize that there's a little bit of James and John in every one of us, right? Like there's a little bit of us, at least when I read this story, maybe, maybe you're awesome. Maybe you don't have this problem. But, but when I read this story, it's hard for me to not cringe a little bit because it's like I know that I've done this kind of stuff. Like I know that there are ways in which I try to manipulate people in relationships. I try to control things that aren't mine to control. I try to give advice or, or call shots uh, where other people really have the authority. Uh, and, and it's hard for me to accept that my primary calling in life is actually service to others. Uh, and that I often, there's a thing in me that, that often just gets it totally backwards. Um, but I come to Jesus as a person many times who is not emotionally mature. And I want to just, I want to just, put this out there. You know, the journey to start emotional maturity is not something that you decide you're going to do it, and then tomorrow it, it, is, it is accomplished, right? Like, this is something that takes a long time. It's slow work, and though we're talking about it, and we're focusing on it, and we're trying to 
trying to really at least become aware of some of these ideas and some of these concepts, that it is something that takes a long time to work out. And I would say that maybe, you know, on my best day, maybe I get like a C minus in some of this stuff, right? And, like, and, and some of the people that I've heard talk about this would say the same, that like maybe some days I'm like, I've got like an average or a passing grade, right? And many days it's a lot more like a D or an F. And here's the good news. Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus as you are, and he loves you exactly as you are. He loves you before you grow up. He loves you before you mature. He loves you when you're a crying toddler and when you're having a tantrum and when you're having a fit and when you have nothing emotionally to give him or others, he still loves you. He still loves me when I'm that way. He loves us when we have nothing to offer. And so we come to him. You know, emotional maturity isn't the gateway in. It's not the boundary that we have to cross in order to get in to Christ. When, when Ivory was, was up here and she was giving her life to Jesus and, and facing the crowd, I think rather bravely <laughs> on that Sunday, being a little bit nervous, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't there. She didn't come into that qualified because of her many good accomplishments. She came to Jesus as she is, as she was. We all come to Jesus, and we are baptized into Christ as we are. And so, you know, but maybe it's, maybe it's kind of good to talk about, once again, and I know that I talk about this a lot, but I, I talk about it over and over again because I keep it in front of us. You know, uh, I think right now a lot of us are kind of going through a season. It's definitely the zeitgeist. It's definitely like the spirit of the age that we're swimming in right now, where people are questioning boundaries. People are questioning traditions. People are, you know, taking their faith apart and realizing that there's a lot in, uh, a lot in these things that we, you know, said that we believed or that we thought that we believed that might have some stuff baked into it that's not healthy. And so there's, right now, I think we're, we're really kind of asking, like, well, what are the boundaries? What's true? What's false? But it's important for us to remember at the same time that boundaries are a fact of life. And I think it's really important, you know, like even just recognizing, uh, you know, the truth of someone's story. You know, your story is not mine. My story is not yours. I'm in a bounded set with some things in my life that you're not in. And you're in a bounded set with some things that I'm not in. Like we have real differences and we have real different experiences. So like either you're baptized or you're not. Either you've got a vaccine or you haven't. Like either you have experienced trauma or you have not. And so when we describe ourselves, when we talk about ourselves, there are objective truths in reality that are real. And so a rejection of all boundaries, uh, that would not be healthy or useful. And it's important to remember that, you know, boundaries do provide a sense of security, right? They provide a sense of belonging. They, they provide a sense of clarity. But, of course, the, and they, they provide a sense of commitment. And so, like, when somebody says, I'm all in for Jesus, when somebody's getting baptized, that is a moment where you're saying, I want to be in. I want to be in the circle. I want to be with Christ forever. I, mean, I want to be included in the community. I want to be part of this thing. And that's not bad. I think that's really good. But the problem with boundaries, and I think what's good about questioning boundaries and what's good about questioning uh, you know, what is it that we really believe and what is actually true is that the problem with boundaries is that they are, by their nature, exclusive, right? Like things are, you're either in or you're out, right? And the other problem with boundaries is that, uh, that they can be simplistic 
and they can, gr they can lead to stagnation. So, you know, if, if on your wedding day you said, well, that was it, I'm married, now I don't have to do anything, right? I'm secure and I'm done. Your marriage is going to suck, right? Like, that's not going to be good. Like, you have to keep working at it, right? You have to keep growing, you have to keep going somewhere. But sometimes those boundaries can give us a false sense of security, a false sense of accomplishment, a false sense of ha having the feeling that we've arrived somehow. We can stop growing if we focus too much on the boundary. Well, so then, of course, you know, we know an antithesis to, to a bounded set is this idea of a fuzzy set. And fuzzy set can feel alluring and it can be tempting because, you know, you're tearing down boundaries. And so if you, uh, if you can click that slide of the, uh, the fuzzy set, the idea here is that the only rule in the fuzzy set is that uh, there are no rules, right? Everybody's kind of just doing their own thing. And we, we try to create space like this in our church community. Like, Chill Between the Thrills is a very fuzzy set activity. People are going to come and go. It's an open house. It's art walk. People are, you know, we're actually, that same night, it's going to be really cool because we have uh, a bunch of SPS students and faculty who are going to be showing their art. And so it's actually like a bunch of different artists. And so I, I think it might be kind of like a busy night. So please, you know, come, pray for that. We want people to feel welcome. We want people to feel like they can, they can come into our church without making any commitments, without any strings attached, with, uh, with, a, with a relaxed atmosphere where we're not, you know, like, if you died right now, what would happen to your soul, right? We're not going to do that. That's weird, right? Like, that's too much too fast. Like, what, what are you even talking about? Like, uh, and so fuzzy set can, can feel alluring. Fuzzy set thinking can uh, feel like the release of oppressive boundaries or wrong boundaries or, um, you know, stuff that is stifling or maybe forced. Uh, but the problem with fuzzy set, of course, is that it is deeply lonely because there is no unity or connection in a fuzzy set. There's no commitment, uh, and it is a fleeting thing. Uh, ultimately, fuzzy set thinking, if you're trying to orient your life in this manner, uh, it is ultimately nihilistic uh, and cynical. And it doesn't offer any hope. It doesn't offer any connection. It doesn't offer any real community because it's just nothing. That's all it is. And so we as a church, we're trying to be a centered set community. We're trying to be a people who are centered on Jesus. And so if you, if you click that slide of the centered set, you know, in the centered set model, the idea is that, you know, there are still boundaries. Like you can draw an invisible circle around Jesus uh, in the middle there. And, and there, are, there are still boundaries. Like baptism is a thing. Like you're either following Jesus or you're not, right? But what we focus on in the centered set model of church is we're trying to be a lot more accepting. We're trying to be a lot more open. We're trying to be a lot more inviting. But we still have a clear sense of direction and a clear path of growth. That we're all moving in the same direction to one common goal. And in this church, our center is Jesus. Or at least what we're trying to put at our center is Jesus. And there are probably a lot of ways that we're not very aware of, hopefully we're not aware of them, uh, that, <laughs> that we're not, you know, our, our trajectory is a little bit off. We need to repent again. We need to confess again. We need to kind of recalibrate and get back on course because it's really easy to get off course. But we're trying to move together towards Jesus. And so it's okay for people to be coming from radically different family cultures, from radically different backgrounds, from radically different political identities, from radically different 
uh, experiences of life, from having absolutely no faith, or maybe even being like anti-faith, and still stake one step closer to Jesus, the thing that unites us is that we are trying to center around Christ and his teachings and what he is giving us. And so as we move towards Jesus together, one thing that we need to consider is that Jesus is really an emotionally mature person. And so that even though we come to him as we are, uh, hopefully we don't stay as we are as we come to him. As we move closer to Christ, he should be forming his character inside of us, and we should be becoming more mature people. And so when we look at these sort of seemingly bland, seemingly innocuous statements like, people should be honest, like Jesus is honest, right? Jesus is mature. Jesus is a secure person. Jesus is a safe person. He doesn't violently overreact. Jesus doesn't uh, freak out. Jesus dealt with a lot of suffering and a lot of pain and a lot of anxiety, I, I believe. I think in Gethsemane, it was pretty clear he was freaking out. Uh, but he still responded in obedience to the Father, and he was still always kind and had integrity and was just to the people around him, even the people that everyone around him was pressuring to treat as though they didn't deserve justice, Jesus treated those people with justice and with kindness. And he confronted the powerful, he, he, he touched the untouchable, he had integrity. And to live that kind of life, to live the uniquely sinless life of Jesus Christ and have that life flowing in and through us we have to be mature people. We have to, you know, be able to self-regulate, to have the fruit of self-control, and to have a sense of self, to have a healthy view of who we are in, in, in light of God's love for us and in light of our relationships with other people. And so as we embark on this journey, I want to just say, like, this is the kickoff, right? Like, it's not all going to happen today. It's not even going to all happen over the next three, two and a half, three months as we as we delve into this stuff, we're starting a journey that's going to last a lifetime of becoming more and more emotionally mature people. And that is part of what it means to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect and to walk after Jesus. Is Jesus is emotionally mature. And I think we even see this in the way that he responds to the immaturity of the disciples around him. You know, I think sometimes... Uh, I do not respond. And actually, one way I've become aware uh, of something I've become aware of recently because I've been asking people for some serious feedback. A, a dear friend of mine recently kind of just confronted me with some truth that, you know, sometimes I can be a bit, uh, I can be a bit harsh in my correction or criticism. That, like when people don't uh, meet an expectation that I have for them, that I can come off a little bit like, kind of like an angry dad vibe. Uh, was, was the specific phrase that got used. And I just want to say, uh, if I've done that to you, I'm really sorry. Um, I, I'm still very much on a journey here. And I, uh, I, I need to grow out of that. That's something I'm becoming aware of. And I'm trying to become a more gentle person as I follow Jesus. And I'm, I'm convicted when I, read, when I read this story of Jesus' gentleness and his curiosity 
uh, toward these very immature disciples, right? So G- the disciples come, you know, James and John, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, make us your number one. You know, we want you to do whatever, you know, whatever we ask of you. We want you to, you know, you know, you like us, right? Like, you'll do what we ask you to do, right? You know, you, you'll, you'll give us our, our desire. You'll do what we want you to do, right? And, like, there's a little bit of pressure in that question, right? There's a little bit of an attempt to manipulate Jesus. And Jesus, what I think is really interesting is he doesn't just say no. Like, he doesn't just say, yeah, whatever. He doesn't just blow him off, right? Like, Jesus responds with kind of a humble curiosity. Like, he, he I, I think maybe Jesus might even be assuming the best. You know, like, Kara and I were talking about this uh, the other night. Like, maybe, you know, this, and this is speculative, right? So, like, but, but maybe, maybe what Jesus is kind of hoping for is, like, oh, maybe they get it. Maybe they get that I do want to give them everything. Maybe they get that if they ask me for healing, I'll give that to them. Or maybe they get that if they ask me for justice, I'll give that to them. Or maybe if they a- know that if, I, if they ask me for deliverance and hope and freedom and, and peace and joy and all these like, good things that I want to do, maybe they get it. Maybe that's what they're going to ask me for. Like, I, I wonder, like, did Jesus kind of hope that? I, I'm speculating here. I'm not saying that's in the scripture. I just, I'm just saying maybe that's the case. And then what do they ask for? They ask for Will you give us power and authority, right? Like, will you give us <laughs> status and, you know, this kind of immature thing to ask for? But Jesus responds with curiosity. He says, what do you want me to do for you? I think maybe it's good to sit with that question. Like, what is it, what is it that we want Jesus to do for us? Are they mature things to ask for? Are they good things to ask for? Are they things that we really need? Are they, are they things that, uh, that will help us and will help other people? I hope so. But I think we can learn from Jesus. I think we can learn to respond with curiosity and with humility. And then after the disciples ask him for this kind of like immature thing to ask for, you know, Jesus... He doesn't just dismiss them. There's actually maybe something good in what they're asking for, too, right? Like, it's not only status, but it's, it's you know, it's we want to be with you. We want to be next to you. We want to share in this thing that you're doing. We want to participate at a high level, at the highest level of what you're doing in the world. And so while Jesus recognizes that they don't really know what they're asking for, he also he also invites them, and he asks more questions. And he in, invites them to consider what they're asking for. And so then in verse 38, it goes like this, right? He, he responds to them and their request. In verse 38, if you can click the next slide, in verse 38 it says, uh, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And what's really interesting is that they reply, we can. They say, we want it. We want, whatever you're doing, whatever you're going through, we want to go through that with you. And Jesus said to them, and this is somewhat ominous, right? There's layers of meaning here. You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. And so, you know, like, there's a sense in which when we, when we come to this table, we are, we're, we're at the table with Jesus, right? Like the Jesus is the bread and wine, but he's also at the table. Like, you know, he passes the, the cup around, and he drinks out of the cup with, with the disciples. And he, he drinks 
and he eats the bread. Like, it's, Jesus is with us at the table. Like, we, we drink the cup that he drinks. We are doing this as a symbol of our solidarity with and unity with Christ. But if we're going to have solidarity with and unity with Jesus, then we're going to have solidarity with you and union with Jesus when we're at the table and as we walk to the cross, because that's where Jesus walked. And when he says, you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, you know, Jesus did get baptized. He didn't need to repent of his sins. That wasn't really part of his baptism, but he went all in. He said, I, you know, I need to do this so that all righteousness can be fulfilled, and he, he, was, he, he went all in in following God. And when we go all in with Jesus, then, then we're with him. And he was baptized with the Holy Spirit in that moment, right? The Holy Spirit, when Jesus was baptized, then the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And we, we get baptized with that baptism. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. When we ask God to do that for us, he'll do it. And I would just say, if that's something that you have never experienced in a, in a, like, a experiential way, in, like, a, a meaningful, eventful way, and that is something you're curious about or that you want to experience, I believe God's presence is really here today and that you can experience that. And so I want to just throw this out here now. When we do prayer ministry, the Holy Spirit will fill you if you ask him to. And I don't know what will happen. You might speak in tongues. You might, you might get bold and start inviting people to church. You might just experience God's love for you. It looks like lots of different things. But you get to be baptized with the baptism that Jesus was baptized with. But the other thing that Jesus is saying here is that, you know, we're going to go with him. We're going to experience the same kinds of things that he experienced. And so the disciples grow. And he, he, he doesn't give James and John what they want. He doesn't promise it. He also, you know, interestingly, he doesn't also like flat out deny it. Jesus is humble in his knowledge as a human being. And so that mystery of Jesus being both, both man and God, like I think, here in the, we see one of those moments where Jesus is really living out of his humanity. He says, I don't know who's going to sit at my right hand and my left. Those aren't, those aren't for me to grant. Those kinds of accolades, that kind of authority, those kinds of things, that's not my responsibility. That belongs to my Father. And I, I can't guarantee you the status. But he does say, prophetically, uh, maybe ominously, that yeah, you will. You will drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, and you're going to grow. And I think it's worth noting that it doesn't happen all at once. It takes, takes a while, right? When Jesus goes to the cross, James and John don't, they don't really follow. And one, one of the Gospels hints that John might have, been, might have stuck around at the cross with the women, you know. Let's be honest, like ladies leading the charge most of the time. Uh, but, but they didn't get crucified. And John definitely ran out of there when, when Jesus got arrested. And, and, John, and, and James, too. Like, everybody kind of chickened out and failed Jesus at his most desperate moment. Like, significant failure. And I think a lot of times when we talk about emotional health and emotional um, maturity— you know, we think that it should just be like slow and steady progress. It should just be, it should just be up and to the right, right? Like we just, we want to, we just want it to be like the stock market or something. Like we want, you know, maybe we have a few, you know, places where we grow a little less 
less strong, but we just, we want constant steady growth. We want it to just be progress. That's what I want. I want, I want continuous, straight progress. I was here. I should be up here now, but I don't know what your life is like. My life is not like that. Like, my life is a lot more this, and then maybe there was like a loop, and there's like, it's, it is not a mathematical function, man. That thing goes backwards, and it is a mess, right? My life is a lot messier than just an up and to the right graph of progress. And the, new, the good news, the gospel for us today, is that, that if that is your experience, then you're still welcome to the table. You're still welcome to grow. Just because you've taken 10 steps backward after you took two steps forward doesn't mean that God's done with you yet. It's okay to be a mess. You're going to go through some stuff, and you can screw a lot of stuff up, and God will still take you back. That's what Jesus died to make happen. He literally, (laughs) that was what it was all about, was so that you could come to him as a mess and receive his love and grace. And that is the good news for all of us. It's really good news for me, uh, that Jesus will still accept us even though we chicken out, even though we blow up, even though we let anxiety and fear get the best of us. And we have an angry reaction or a scared reaction or an immature reaction. We just shut it down. We say, forget it. I'm going home. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Like, whatever. Like, we can do all those kind of immature things, and God will still love us. He'll still accept us, and he'll still welcome us back. And it's through those experiences of really being honest about what we've really done and who we really are, and being open and honest about that with God and with people in a community that are all kind of on that same journey, that we really experience growth, that we experience the grace and the room to kind of play, right? To, to, to make some mistakes, to practice our faith, to try some things, to fail, to try again and fail again. And then maybe, maybe the third time's a charm, or maybe the 18th time's a charm, or maybe the 367th time is a charm, right? Where we, we finally make some progress and we grow. And the, the story of James and John is that what Jesus said to them does end up being very true. In Acts chapter 12, it says this. Uh, we get this little bit about the end of James' life. It says this. It says that about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And I think it's really interesting. Like, compare the model of leadership of Herod who has the worldly authority, who has the title, who is acting very much like a Gentile, uh, even though he's supposed to be the king of the Jews. He's supposed to represent the kingdom of God on the earth. He claims to be the government that God endorses on the earth. That's Herod's claim. Uh, and look at the way he is. He, he's all about just seeking the approval of other people. Totally opposite Jesus. Jesus is so willing to disappoint the people who are closest to him the people for whom put the most pressure on him, Jesus is so willing to disappoint them and tell them things that they don't want to hear, to invite them into a life of suffering and death and pain and all this sacrifice in order to be a blessing and a benefit to others, to be the, to be the subjects of violence rather than the people who do it. 
And we see exactly the opposite in Herod. And Herod claims that he's doing it for God. And Herod kills people, and he's willing to kill a bunch of people so that he can get approval, so he can get likes, so he can be popular. And uh, it's sad. But we see in James and John that they have been shaped and formed by the way of Jesus. They have been shaped and formed by his love and grace outpoured on him. And so they are willing to endure that kind of stuff. And they can do it with integrity. They can do it with a sense of knowing who they are and what they stand for, what they will live and die for in a way that we're still talking about 2,000 years later. That's powerful. And we need that kind of maturity if we're going to do anything of consequence and if we're going to be the people that God intends for us to be in our primary relationships with our immediate nuclear family, with our roommates, with the people that we're committed to in the life of this church, with the people that we work with. We need to have that character that Christ forms in us if we're going to really reflect who he is and not just be like a Herod claiming to have the status and claiming to, to be God's people on the earth. If we're going to be like Christ, we have to have Christ-like character. We have to grow. So I want to make three invitations to growth this morning and to become a more emotionally mature person today. Uh, the first is to, uh, to confess and just to be honest, to be honest with God. And when we confess our sins to God and to our neighbors, we kind of practiced that in, in, in our liturgy this morning. We, we prayed that prayer. If you could click that next slide that says confess. Uh, when we do that, that really helps us be honest about who we are and who God is, right? If we can confess our sins to God and to one another, that's where we get healed. That's where we get freedom. If we pretend that we don't have sin in our life, uh, then we will continue to live in that delusion and to uh, be harmed by that delusion and to experience guilt and to experience shame and to not know what's going on and to not be self-aware and there's, there's a kind of a transactional sort of a sense of confession that we, that we do engage in that's real. Like, you know, I, oh, I, I messed up and I need to recognize that and I need to turn. But there's also the kind of confession where we just are honest about what we're going through, that we're open and we're honest. And we're just saying, you know, I'm struggling with this and I'm not sure how much of it is me sinning and how much of it is I'm being sinned against. And I don't, I just, like, I just have need and I just need help. And just being open and vulnerable and kind of curious and wanting to learn, that's a big part of emotional maturity. And that is something that will come up again and again in this series. Another, another invitation that I think God wants to invite us into this morning is to really commit. To be people who are going to say, you know what, I'm going to stick with this. I'm not going to give up when this gets difficult. I'm going to commit to showing up to church. I'm going to commit to regularly being part of a small group. I'm going to be in relationship, and I'm going to stay when it gets uncomfortable. I'm going to be an emotionally mature person who can endure anxiety and conflict 
and still stay warmly related to other people, even while I hold to my convictions and am honest about what I really believe or what I don't believe anymore or what I'm questioning and I'm not sure what I believe. Like, we need to be people who are committed to one another and to Christ in order to give that time and that safe environment for the slow work of maturity to happen. Because if we're always scared that the other person's going to reject us, or if we're just ready to reject other people, that doesn't create a safe atmosphere for growth to take place. And so we have to make and keep commitments to each other so that we can grow through that anxiety and that insecurity. And then the other, commi- uh, the other invitation this morning, the final one, is just to enjoy God, to commune with God and with one another, to commune with each other, to be people who really enjoy community. And we had this kind of intense, uh, we had this kind of intense conversation last night with the worship team. We're really trying to make steps towards, you know, becoming a more honest culture, to, to kind of repent of Midwestern Christian niceness and to kind of embrace a bit more honesty and to get over the wussiness that we all feel when it comes to confronting other people and to be, to be a little bit more real and to be a bit more vulnerable with how the ways that we're interacting with each other, how that feels and what that's like for us and how we can take care of each other better and you know, having these real conversations. And then what was really nice is that uh, we were able to go and just hang out together. And we spent a long time just spending time and enjoying each other's company and being with each other and just kind of reaffirming that commitment to each other in friendship of just knowing that like, hey, we can get real with each other and that's not the end. And there is something really enjoyable about that kind of commitment. And I just want to recognize that this church is something that is very special to me um, uh, it, it is something that has really blessed me. I, I am humbled and honored to be friends with you all. Uh, many of us have been through a lot of things together, and, and some people are newer to the community, and, 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 and I'm excited about what we're going to go through together as we get to know each other, as we feel more comfortable being more committed to each other, as we feel more comfortable confessing things to each other, and as we feel more comfortable enjoying each other's company, I'm excited for the future. I think that there is something gloriously good that God is doing in this community. Uh, And it is important to celebrate that. It is important to recognize that, and it is important to gather together to enjoy what God is doing in our midst. And it's in, this, in these practices of celebration and recognition and being intentional about affirming one another and encouraging each other from a real place, about saying things that, oh, you know, not just like, oh, that's a nice shirt or whatever. Like, hey, you know, like when you're honest with me, it helps me really trust you and I really value that. Saying things to each other like, you know, you always show up on time and that commitment means something to me. Like, I know that I can count on you. Like, building each other up and encouraging each other and noticing that and calling that out and saying like, hey, you know, I know that you will always tell me the truth and like, if you're upset with me, that like, I'll know about it. And that helps me know 
that when you say something kind to me, I know that, that, that that's real too, right? Like building that trust and celebrating the community that we have is really good and it's really important. And it's something that we're going to enjoy doing. And we're going to commune with Jesus right now. So would you stand? I want to make the invitation, and this still comes up and leads us in one more song of worship. You know, the opportunity this morning is to meet with God and to do any of these things with God and with another person who has been trained to just help you do this with a real focus on, which is it is just a, we want to make sure people are